I see it as a critical thinking problem. It's like a math problem. You just gotta figure out the right way to solve it. And once you do, like, there you go. Like, I love the challenge. And I think that's again, like goes with like being here and, and like growing as an artist is if you're not constantly challenging yourself to do things that maybe make you uncomfortable and get better at them like you're not growing you're not changing hey everyone thanks for tuning in we are here with willow weber one of our artists here at eden that's been here since the very beginning we're so excited to chat with her and uh yeah thanks for coming in thanks for having me guys So excited to be talking with you. I'm so excited to be here, you guys. I know. So much fun. I want to hear your whole story because I don't know if like we've ever like kind of dove into like how you got here. Okay. And specifics. So yeah. I, I don't know. I want to talk about like childhood. I want to talk about your art journey and tattoo, all of it. Yeah. Um, cool. And you just started here at Eden, so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you have been with us since the very beginning and i always think about like you and jade and Mm -hmm. and monica and taylor to where we were like we don't even have a studio ready but we want to open up and you guys were like i'm in in. i remember coming in uh and we still had i don't even think this wall was up yet or like it was partially up or something and there's like the wall was up but there were no floors there was like plastic shit all yeah. over the place. We had a little powwow. We're like, sick. This yeah. Is really great. <laughs> yeah. No power. No power. Yeah. <laughs> Even without anything, how did you take that leap to be like, no, nah, I think this will be cool and a good place to work at? Um, I've always followed my gut on things. I've always like, I feel like I'm a pretty intuitive person and I just kind of like know things. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how to describe it other than that. Yeah. But I just knew that this was an opportunity I did not want to pass up. And no matter what, because I knew opening a new studio, there was going to be things we were going to have to do together. Like, you know, establishing it, all of that stuff was things that we were going to have to like work on as a team. So like I came into it knowing that we're starting basically at the bottom and working yeah. up. So it's not going to be easy. And I didn't want something that was going to be easy either. Like I wanted something that was going to challenge me and be worth it, you know, and I knew that this was worth it and... I think a lot of people just expect either instant success or an easy road to whatever their goals are. And like, if you're taking the easy way, man, you're not, you're not, what is that? That's so boring. Like (laughs) do the hard thing, do the difficult things, do the things that are going to challenge you and make you like just a better artist or person in general. And that's what this whole experience was. Like if I didn't take this leap and do this, like what was I doing? You know what I mean? I I guess I can't explain it better than that, but yeah, it's like life. That's the whole point of living life is to just do things that challenge you. So, and and you've been such a a voice too of, of this. I think you're like a great representation of what the studio is. Like it is you. And I, and I love just like hearing you even like tell like other people, like how this is a good place to be. And I've always heard that you just, you just really like it here and, mm-hmm. and you work so hard and yeah. you've climbed up by yourself since the very beginning Thanks. and it's so inspiring. I definitely am one of those people who 
come from like a lot of hardship. So when you know you have something good, you like fight for it so hard because you know how bad things can be and you know like how shitty things could be, especially in our industry and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But just in life in general, I feel like in any career situation, if you come from somewhere that's, you know, it's not right for you and you go somewhere where you're like, cool, this is, this is where I need to be. You're going to fight tooth and nail for it. And if you don't like you lose it, that's your own problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. Are you are you crying right now? Okay, no, it is my contacts. Leave me alone. <laughs> I told you guys earlier, like super emotional already. I know. Leave me this alone. This is the crying podcast. <laughs> Everyone cries on it. I'm not crying. Okay, it's just leaking from my eyes. It's a good release. Yeah. yeah, I know, and it's just this eye too. It's just this one. It's not this one. It's and it's fine as long as my makeup isn't like. I, w- you know. I was Even thinking today. I was thinking about when we interviewed you. Do you remember what month that was? Um, it was it was February, I believe. Um, or maybe like very late January, early February. It was so cold. I remember that. It was that early. Was it like before COVID? Yes, it was before COVID. We Damn. met at a coffee shop. In yeah, no, Dallas. I remember La La that. Land. Yeah. No, it wasn't La La Land. No, it no. was uh, like Brood and Pressed. Like yeah, it was like right, right by downtown. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Mm-hmm. Right by the radio station. Dang, so. You're right. Yeah. Okay, so we really had, like, nothing at that time. Yeah. 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 Well, okay, so basically what had happened was um, I was working at my old studio, and I was feeling like, okay, things have to change. Like, I need to figure something out. And I saw your post about Eden on your page. And my other friend was going to apply. And I, like, legitimately, I'd only been tattooing for maybe nine months at this point, like, not even a full year. And I was like, I'm not going to get this job. Like, I'm not going to get the job, but I'm going to apply. Like, you know, why not? Like, yeah. I didn't, I did not expect to get the job whatsoever. And um, I applied and sent in my work at the time, which was like, I like literally one of the tattoos I had done the day before. And I was like, this is sick. And turn that into you guys. As which one was portfolio. it? It was the bird with, I think it was like, it was a blue jay with like rosemary and little pink flowers or whatever. Oh, and that, that was one of the ones yeah. that you saw where you're like, I see your potential here. Like I see where you're going with this stuff. And, um, I turned all that in and then I got the email back from you and I was like, what? <laughs> Wait, what? And you're like, oh, we like your work. We want to meet with you. And I was like, I vomited immediately. As <laughs> <one does. laughs> um, and then uh, I, we, you know, we arranged it and I actually had just gotten sick. I don't think it was COVID because COVID hadn't been announced yet at that point, but I had just gotten sick and I had lost my voice completely. And the day that we met up, I had just gained my voice back. So I was like, yeah, I got his house. Yeah. Now. And it's like, oh, no. <laughs> um, but yeah. And honestly, I was in this like state of this isn't real. Like this isn't happening right now. Um, and then all hell broke loose and yeah, you know, we pushed everything back. But that honestly, in a lot of ways, I'm very grateful that we pushed it back because that gave me a whole year to under my belt a little bit more. Yeah. So just like, I know I'm going somewhere. Like I have a goal that I'm going to. And that whole year was me just like doing free tattoos left and right, just trying to build my portfolio, trying to do these things. I was like, okay, like I'd only been tattooing for a little while at that time. So I was like, I need to, I need to get more. Cause I, I didn't know who you guys were hiring. I didn't know the people I was going to be working with. So I was like, I need to be like on my shit as fast as possible so that I'm not like, I don't want to say like the weakest link. I feel like that's shitty, but like, you know what I mean? So I'm like, yeah, for sure. With everybody else. It's a healthy, healthy competition. I think with any shop, just like, that's why you were healthy. (laughs) healthy. healthy, Yeah. 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 (laughs) Which is why I know, like, I always want to work with good tattooers because it would suck to also like be like the best Mm -hmm. too. Mm -hmm. Because 
you you need growth and like I want to be inspired and that's why I love working with all of you guys because you guys are doing cool ass shit every day and it inspires me to try and do cool mm-hmm. ass shit. So. There's so many amazing like just minds here like the creative like Monica just by herself is just blows my mind with her designs i'm just like where did that come from like craziness like she's insane and same with you though oh Oh my god (laughs) thank you it's just like uh, and i think this this is an example of like tissues no yeah okay god (laughs) it's this one eye keeps leaking i'm so sorry i know i can't help it i start talking about things and my eyes are just like it doesn't even have to be emotional it's just like here they are (laughs) fun shit um, I'm just, I'm just blown away. I think that it's a good example of what a healthy environment can do for you. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of shops where people don't grow very well. Mm-hmm. And coincidentally, those are the shops where, uh, maybe the owner isn't very supportive or like yeah. there's toxic people mm-hmm. in there. And, and if everybody is cool and nice and supportive, that's when people flourish and it's amazing just seeing like how much you've grown since you first got here, like mm-hmm. in, like nine months into tattooing and then where <laughs> you are now and the shit you are just Thank pulling you. out. And I'm, eh, it's just so cool. I think about it all the time, just like how much everyone has, has grown and, yeah. and you too, like especially with, with your um, like creating like your own style which is so hard to do with the stained glass incorporating the black line work with like like the what art period honestly i'm inspired by a lot but it's typically anywhere between the 1600s and the late 1800s is my typical like range um of like art inspiration but really the pre-raphaelites are my Mm. biggest inspiration i studied them in college and stuff like that and they're like i'm kind of like totally a fangirl (laughs) so what what are the what's the what are the pre-raphaelite okay so the pre-raphaelite movement I'm an art history professor now. Like, I love how much you know about art history. (laughs) Um, The pre-Raphaelite movement um, is a movement in the mid 1800s in uh, England, specifically London. Um, It was a bunch of wealthy white men, like any good movement starts with. Um, Mm -hmm. And it, so a lot of people don't realize, like we have this idea of romanticizing the middle, middle ages, right? You know, like, Mm -hmm. Oh my God, swords and sorcery knights and whatnot. That wasn't a thing until the mid-1800s, the Victorian period. Like, people don't realize, like, no one thought of the medieval period like that. Mm -hmm. It was the pre-Raphaelites who came in and romanticized that period for us. That's why we have, like, these ideas of, like, the Knight's Tale and, um, you know, Game of Thrones and, like, Lord of the Rings Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. That's all from those periods of like fairies and fantasy and taking things from literature um like Shakespeare and stuff and making them into paintings and romanticizing it so like what was it actually like um honestly a lot of people didn't even really think about it because at that time leading up in the early 1800s you had romanticism um and you were getting into impressionism and stuff like that which was its own thing but you had these grand pasture landscapes with cows and you know like trees and it was for the elite to buy to you know those things and then you also had these like really grotesque scenes of like classical art of like nude women in bathhouses lounging and it was all like It was fantasy in its own way, but it was only for the elite. It was this like hyper misogynistic idea of like femininity and and stuff like that. And then the Mm -hmm. pre-Ophelites came in and just like 
smash that to bits with telling stories from the Bible, telling stories from, you know, literature and um, like medieval times and stuff like that. And then you also had like authors like uh, Tolkien and stuff like that coming up at that that period, writing their stories and just this huge explosion of fantasy um, and, and everything like that. That's why I like Victorian period so much. Like everything in the Victorian era is just like, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Well, I feel like that's like your, that's like your, uh, that's like your whole like personality. Like <laughs> you read right? fantasy books and your house is decorated like that. And that's how you dress. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, I feel like it's like you really fuck with it a yeah. lot. It's cool. Really so hardcore. Cool. It all kind of ties in together. And um, I, I remember the first time I watched uh, Lord of the Rings when I was a kid, you know, the mm-hmm. Peter Jackson movie that came out back in the day. And I, my little brain, I think I was like seven or six or something. My little brain was just like, wow, <laughs> like, what is this? Because like for the longest time growing up, I thought I was a fairy. Like, no lie. I was like, I'm a magical being. Get with it. Let's go. Um, and then I saw that and I was like, oh, Legolas. Oh, my God. Hi. And I was so convinced I was going to marry Legolas growing up. Like, all of this stuff. And it just, it's always been, like, a huge part of who I am. So, I don't know. I like to live my life magically. I think life can get kind of boring and reality sucks. So, like, we, your life is what you make of it. 100%. And, like, why not live as magically as you possibly can? So, yes. yeah. So yeah. I kind of like to go for so, so you watched Lord of the Rings when you were seven, little somewhere around then. Somewhere yeah, there, that's when you kind of got into mm-hmm. like the whole like fantasy and all, all of that. Um, so, like going on from there, when did you get into art and and all of that? Art has always been a huge part of my life. Um, my aunt on my mother's side was married to this guy named Jerry something or another when I was a kid. Uh, and he, we lived with them for a bit in Missouri when I was like two to four. And he was an artist and he was a famous artist in Kansas actually. And um, he had an art studio in the house and he taught me how to paint when I was little. So like I did my very first oil paintings with him. They were terrible, but they were great. <laughs> um, like and that, uh, that kind of like sparked that. And then Honestly, I can't pinpoint really a time. It's just always been, you know, I was always doodling and drawing and I would take like the Prince of Egypt books because, you know, Disney had like the books printed out with all the stuff and I would look at it and I would like try to draw the characters from it and like I would draw dragons and all kinds of things like that as a kid and um I would draw my hands actually was like my biggest thing is like I didn't know what to draw and I was bored. I would just look at my left hand and like draw it because like you draw what you see around you so uh we lived in these apartments and i drew like the facade of the apartment and everything it was just like kind of a compulsive thing i think it helped me with my anxiety and depression a lot as a kid too and my adhd as well so so. you suffered from anxiety and depression as a little kid yeah yeah i didn't know what it was you know obviously you didn't know what it was but it was definitely like i would have panic attacks and be like super uh, like Wow. Well, like what age was this? Um, probably starting around 10, roughly. Damn. Yeah. Like, okay. So I grew up in like a really, really bad household or whatever. So it was like a lot of drug abuse mm-hmm. and things like that and like negligence and stuff. So I was left to my own devices from a very young age, like nine. I'd be at the mm-hmm. house like by myself for like a week at a time. And yeah. so like when you're a kid, 
you kind of just stuff. I mean, <laughs> school, I was truant a lot in school. Like I was always in ISS or detention for missing classes or like not turning in homework. It was not a priority of mine. And you grew up in, this is like Denton? Uh, all over the place. Okay. We moved a lot as a kid. Um, honestly, I went to 16 different schools before I got to high school. So like, I don't even know how many more places besides that I lived. Probably like a whole bunch more. We were just like... And this was all around Texas or just like everywhere? Um, Mostly like the Burleson Joshua area, Cleburne. We were in for a while and then we came back up to Fort Worth and then back down there and Lake Whitney. And Why moving so much? My mother and her drug addiction. Honestly, she couldn't keep a job down. She was a nurse for a while, but she started stealing scripts and stuff like that and got caught. And like, you know, she was she was a drug addict before. I, I was born, she got clean and was able to keep me. And then she was clean up until I was about nine, roughly. And then she met this guy and he got her back on meth, all that jazz. And that's when things really took a turn. And I guess I was independent enough already that she was like, oh, you can just you can just stay at home. I'll just disappear for a while. At nine? Yeah, at nine. But honestly, like it made me who I am as a person. So I would never change a thing about how I grew up at all, like all the different difficulties and stuff. But it also, I think, lent my fantastical ideas of life because when you're left to your own devices as a kid, there's no one to tell you, hey, you can't do that. Hey, you can't be that. She was so absent. I was able to be whatever I wanted to be. So like that. I'm sure it was like an escape for you too. Like when you're going through all that shit, like- Mm -hmm. Watching Lord of the Rings sounds mm-hmm. way more fun than <laughs> yeah. dealing with all that. Yeah, you know? and books also, reading Fucking all the time. Man. Like, I lived in fantasy books, basically. So, yeah, and then, you know, as time went on, I ended up – I live on and off with her from the age of, like, 9 to 13. Here and there, we were bouncing around. We were, we were basically homeless, like, just living on different people's couches and, you know, different boyfriends, things like that. Um, and then I went into foster care when I was 13 because she got picked up and taken to jail. And it, it was this whole thing where basically she dropped me off at a friend's house to spend the night when I was 13, and I never saw her again. And she claimed, like, I heard from her a few years later, she claimed she got picked up by the police or whatever, but, like... When she got out of jail, she still didn't come back. So mm-hmm. I was like, okay. So I was in foster care for about two and a half years after that, which honestly was an interesting time. It was the first time I ever felt like I had a family. You know what I mean? Because I'd never yeah. lived in a family unit. And that was the most stability I'd ever had up to that point. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then my biological father was found. I had never met him before. And they shipped me off to his house when I was 15. Never met him in my life. And I had to live with him all through high school, which... I was an angry teenager. I was very angsty. And um, that was in Denton. That was in Roanoke. So okay. close to Denton. Yeah. It wasn't too far, like 30 minutes away. But um, you're basically in the same kind of like yeah, general area. This general, everything was on 35. Okay. Like that 35 highway, like all the way up. Yeah. Um, Your mom frequented that. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. And then um, I met one of like one of the, my good friends, um, who actually got me into tattooing later on. And uh, my life I've always seen as like these weird little puzzle pieces that if this thing didn't happen, then this thing wouldn't have happened and this thing and this thing. So it's like this weird effect where like, yeah, I went through a lot of shit, but it made me who I am. And it put these puzzle pieces in place to get me to where I am today. So it's like. And you have a lovely, like, uh, uh, I mean, you're, see, you're fostered or 
um my adoptive dad adoptive dad yeah so farm and like he's great yeah so he's not your biological dad no so he dated my mom when i was like eight and then she got back on drugs while they were together um and she was cheating on him with the other dude or whatever and he saw the road she was going down and wanted to help me out but because he wasn't like a legal guard like i couldn't live with the yeah, state wouldn't let yeah, me live yeah. with them all that stuff so he always provided like financial support basically and we would hang uh, out and stuff like that but he was always there for me in that way and like helping me through like he helped me through when i decided to go to college he helped me when i was in my tattoo apprenticeship he helped me pay my rent and stuff like that like uh, i would not have been able to get where i am without uh, him helping me and stuff like that so i call him my dad but he is my adoptive dad so yeah. well, sounds he like he's your dad that <laughs> yeah, that yeah that is incredible wow guy yeah, and it's it's like these weird little pieces. Like if this person wasn't here, then you know things yeah. like that. So and that's that's what you you deserved from the very beginning too. And I, I'm glad that he recognized how mm-hmm. awesome and special you are. Thank you. Yeah. You yeah. I was gonna ask: Is it a thing where like he just really connected with you, or he just kind of saw, okay, she really needs this help, or both? Um, okay. I don't know. Okay. I. I'm an only child and he didn't have any kids. And I do believe he really did love my mother at one point. I do believe that. Mm. And I do believe he was heartbroken when she did the shit that she did. Yeah. Um, and I do think he, he like wanted a child, you know what I mean? He wanted that whole family unit thing. So we were kind of like in it together. We were like, Hey, yeah, like she screwed you over. She screwed me over. <laughs> yeah. Let's team up and yeah. actually have a family together kind of thing. Like, so like that's always he's always been I think he's like the one constant in my life that I've always had since I was like eight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's always been there. So and we're not like we're not like close, close, you know, we don't talk all the time or anything like that. I'm very like distant family. Like I don't celebrate things like Christmas or anything because we never did. So like family wise stuff, like we see each other like once a month and stuff like that. But he he is he does mean a lot to me. So it's more than I see my parents. <laughs> yeah. It's a lot. And I've met him too. And he's so he's the nice. Nicest dude. Uh, yeah. He's great. He's amazing. He's so yeah. great. Yeah. Nicest dude. Wow. And so he, did he recognize your tattooing uh, career and, and help? So, I mean, it sounds like he helped you out and he supported you too. He, um, he always loved my art. That was the thing. Anything that had to do with my art, he was like my number one fan always. <laughs> like he always saw that. And he, Always knew that I was going to do something with my life. Like, he was like, I, you just, you, you're determined, you're like, you take initiative and stuff like that. So, he always knew I would make something of myself. Um, and I didn't even know, like, what I was going to do. I had no idea. Like, graduating high school, I didn't even think I would go to college. And then I just applied for it and got the Pell Grant and all that stuff for it. Um and I went in for art history because I just didn't know what else to do. But that's a rich kid game. <laughs> and, um, and this was UNT. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I ended up well, dropping out. What's the – you said the Pell Grant? The Pell Grant. Yeah. So it's for poor people, basically. It's money from the government to go to college. And basically, it got to a point where the Pell Grant wasn't going to cover my tuition all the way anymore. It was only going to cover up to a certain amount. And I'm not going to take out loans. Like, I'm just not going to do that. So I dropped out to tattooing and stuff but he didn't um he didn't really get the tattooing thing at first he's like definitely kind of more old school kind of republican conservative texan um and he didn't quite understand it but he trusted my judgment and my initiative on things and then after a while he saw like 
the potential of it, I guess, if that makes sense. It wasn't like this weird taboo, like thing that people from prison do kind of thing. So he then supported it fully after that. He doesn't get it though. Like he doesn't understand why people get tattoos or anything, <laughs> but that's okay. He doesn't need to. So it's fine. It's not for it's yeah. yeah. What, what is, have you heard? Do you know what? Your your biological mom and dad. Oh, God, what are they doing now? Um, you know, my bio. We sometimes hear from your oh, biological yeah. mom. Of course you do. She stalks me. It's okay. Um, my biological father had no idea. Like I lived with him for four years and never talked to him again. He's not like a bad person. He's just an alcoholic and just like not like a great. <laughs> I don't want to say he's not a great person, but he's just not anyone I want to be around, I guess, yeah. if that makes sense. And then my mother, I mean, gosh, I haven't talked to her since I was 13. So what is that? Tw 17 years yeah. roughly ish. And she's like sent letters and she's contacted my old workplace. She's contacted you guys. She stalks me on Instagram and I try to delete like whenever she does do things like that. Cause it's, she's just not worth my time. And I'm of the mind that like, I'm a very selfish person and I like to live my life for me. And if you're going to fuck shit up for me, I am not fucking with you. Like, I don't care if you're my mother. I don't care if you're my friend. I don't care who you are. You start fucking with my happiness. Bye bye. Like, I'm not into that. Like, I think a lot of people would be like, well, they're my brother and they're my mom. And I get it. No, you do not. Are they fucking with you in your happiness? Okay, exnay them. Bye bye. Like you don't need them in your life. Um, Fuck yeah. And that's just how I feel about Fuck that whole yes. situation. Yeah. Um, yeah and that's, so that's interesting. I feel like I've I definitely understand like the value of family, but I think I've also been of the mind before that's like you know you don't you don't choose who your family is, but like so that means like sometimes your family is not going to be like awesome people. So I think sometimes it should definitely be okay to be like, okay, this person is not adding anything to my life. Just like you would do like if a friend treated you like that. And it's like, almost like, why would they get a special pass just because they're mm -hmm. related to me? You yeah. Know? 100%. Can I ask like, what does she, she, she emails the studio or? Yeah. Know. She's emailed us a couple of times. Mm -hmm. um, it's been what? like, Hey, just hey Willow. Love you. Stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. And she and Willow just goes, Oh, you can just delete that. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah. Basically. And I've never heard that story before. So I've always been like, Oh, guess yeah. there's something going on. But No, she definitely um <sighs> Have you ever gone to like that's so much trauma? To, um, have you ever gone to yeah. therapy or anything? Like how did how do like how would you I even deal with everything? Unpack um, that and deal with that. Actually, being left, as cheesy as it sounds, being left out of sleepover when you're 13 years old, dude. Being 13 sucks enough. <laughs> and then for your mom to be like, "Peace Pieces. out." Yeah. yeah. Um. Honestly, I'm not one of those people who is a "woe is me" kind of person. I'm all like, "Okay, this happened. Cool, let's move on." Kind of thing. I don't thing. know if I've ever seen you sad. Actually, now that I think about it, yeah, I don't show yeah. a lot of emotion. I think that's just a coping mechanism that I've learned over time. But um, besides, like my leaky eye that happens, my no, well, told yeah. Me besides that I hold today, so you've just been crying this entire episode. <laughs> um, that's all you'll I'm get from a, me, Colton. <laughs> I'm not a "woe is me" kind of person. Stop. Um, <laughs> I, I've, I've tried to do therapy a couple times, but honestly, I feel like, and again, it's going to sound cheesy, but art has been my therapy uh, kind no, of thing. It's not cheesy at all, yeah. I just, I would just dived into it. It's that whole like thing with 
like the fantasy world and escapism and stuff like that is like you dive into something and you just hyper fixate on it and nothing else matters. Like the stuff that happened in the past, it's in the past. I make my life what like I think a lot of people because I knew a lot of people at that time who were my age and their parents were like doing drugs with my mom. Like there was like a whole little community of us and we were all the same age and they all became drug addicts. They all did the same shit. They went down that same fucking path. And I saw that shit from a very young age and said, this is not the life I want. This right here is not the life I want. So I did everything in my power to not live that life. And I'm not going to say like, oh yeah, I grew up in a trailer park. Oh yeah, I grew up with a drug addict mom and we moved around from place to place to place. Like I'm not going to let that dictate the rest of my life Yeah, because I would be no better than her and the people that she associated with. And that's just not an excuse. It's just not. Yeah. Well, yeah, I've never, I've never like heard most of that. So I was, when you were telling that, I was thinking like, it's interesting that you went from all that dysfunction and now you're like a very like responsible adult. Like when you interviewed, like you had a resume with us, like that's like, you were an assistant manager. Like you've Mm -hmm. always been in like leadership roles, I feel like. And Mm -hmm. like, you've got your shit together for like Mm -hmm. lack of a better term. So I feel like you could have gone two ways with all that dysfunction. Like you could have like been like, okay, this is how life is. Mm -hmm. Or you could have been like, okay, that's what I'm not going to do. And mm-hmm. you kind of went down that second path. You you were forced into being a, in a leadership role since you were a kid mm-hmm. and taking care of yourself. It yeah. seems like it's no surprise that like, it, like you, you don't ask for help really. Like you, <laughs> you take care of your shit. <laughs> and um, I hope you know, like if you ever needed anything and you have friends and people, you know, us who, yeah. who love you. Who My chosen family, basically, is yes. how I see it. Who is so important. Yeah, and, I like that. I like that term, chosen mm-hmm. family, for sure. Yeah, especially like seeing like you and Katie's relationship. I, I yeah. love seeing that so much. Yeah. Like you guys, it's just seeing like the people, your chosen family and yeah. you guys. I'm very picky all just about who really I like loving life. each other and loving you and. Yeah, I, I think that's what matters. It really is at the end of the day. And again, I think people really like to make excuses for why they are the way they are or why they're shitty to other people or why they are not good at work or why they don't have the things in life that they want to have. But I just I just find that so pathetic, <laughs> honestly. And I know that sounds like really mean, but like coming from where I came from, when I see people who had it better than me growing up, either like wealth or like family stability or things like that, and they're not succeeding in life this is gonna sound really shitty but i'm like what are you doing like look at where i came from and look at where you came from and you like how like what is your Mm -hmm. excuse Mm -hmm. i i don't know i just don't have a lot of respect for people who who use their past as like this excuse for being the way that they are whether that be shitty or lazy or have no drive or determination or anything so you know one thing i think is cool about like this podcast because we like it's not like the main topic of the podcast, but like pretty much with everybody, we talk about like how they got to where they got to be in their careers and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. And I feel like almost everybody we've talked to on the podcast and just most tattooers I know in general, like didn't have shit handed to them. Like they fucking like pull themselves Mm -hmm. up, whether it be like through a hard childhood or through an apprenticeship and stuff like that. And I, I feel like that's like really unique to the tattoo industry. Um, that I feel like most of the people that we've talked to, like, were not handed shit. Like, they just had some circumstance where they worked their fucking ass off. And that's why, like, damn, mm-hmm. I wish, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll air the audio episode of Quinn's, yeah. but like, his story was like phenomenal too and like super impactful. So yeah. it's 
it's one thing that's I think was really cool about the tattoo industry. Well, you're choosing a career that is a stigma, and it's becoming less of one, yeah, but it's still a stigma. It's seen as like a you know, a lot of people don't see it as a respectable career or things like mm-hmm. that. So you're already coming in like as an underdog, basically in the field that you want. So you have nothing to do, but fight, fight also, for yeah. respect and all of that stuff. So also yeah. for the longest time, the culture of the tattoo industry has like to make it like purposefully difficult and like purposefully difficult to like even get into. Mm-hmm. You know? So I survived my apprenticeship is cause like going in there, they tried to make it as bad for me as they possibly could. And I was like, y'all don't even know where I came from. Like, yeah, <laughs> you don't I'm know fine. what bad like, is. Yeah. For real though. Like, like what, what kind of shit did you have to do? Um, so at the first shop I worked at, I only worked there for a few months cause it was a sinking ship. <laughs> it was in the stockyards in Fort Worth. And, um, they like, found out that I was afraid of heights and were like, oh my God, you need to get on the roof to like get all this stuff. And I had a whole panic attack because I was like really not into it. Um, My very first day, actually, this is a really good story. My first day ever working at the studio as an apprentice, you know, I was doing my stuff. They told me to, you know, clean whatnot. I did everything I could. And it came to lunchtime. And um, one of the, the piercers, she was like, hey, you can go take your lunch and everything. I was like, cool. All right, I'll be right back. And I went and got my lunch and came back. And um, they were all sitting there looking at me and I was like, sup and they're like why didn't you ask us if we wanted food and i was like i was i was i supposed was to i supposed to <laughs> like i didn't it was my first day i had yeah. no idea and they're like yeah anytime you leave to go get food you need to ask every single person if they want something and then you know go get them that and i was like okay cool like i'll do that next time so sorry like i, I did not know and they're like you need to do push-ups for us and i was like uh <laughs> what and they're like yeah so they made me get on the tattoo floor and like do push-ups for them and i like i'm a chubby girl i was not a you know like i did not know so it was very embarrassing to do and it was just like really like okay and then from there it was just like this one time we didn't close until like 2 a.m or something like that and the shop was not doing well well and um it was like 1 30 in the morning they hadn't tattooed all day it's like a thursday night you're and, like what if somebody walks in <laughs> right <laughs> and i was cleaning i was doing my normal you know routine and stuff and i asked them i was like hey like um are we closing up soon because you know it's like 30 minutes to close and they're like yeah, 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 it's fine. Like, you're done. You can go ahead and go. And I was like, cool. So I, I had like the next day off and then I came back the next day and they had taken, this was back in the day when they weren't using, you know, disposable stuff. So it was all like metal tubes for their coil machines. So they had taken all of the metal tubes that they had and put them in a bucket and threw red and purple and black ink all over it. And there was probably like 30 tubes in there and they completely saturated it and uh, left it there for it to dry. And then when I came back to work, they're like, hey, um, since you asked to leave early the other day, this is for you to uh, clean for us. And I was like, bet. <laughs> I'm going to talk to you guys all day. I'm going to be in the uh, the dirty room. Nice. <laughs> and I had my headphones on and I was listening to A Song of Ice and Fire, which is Game of Thrones in my uh, audiobook. And I sat there for eight hours scrubbing tubes. You know, like you take the bitch yes, apart, you do the bolts. Dried. On it was all there. dried ink. I had to use the... Um, Oh, doctor, it was the the sink. It was like this certain type of soap you had to use. I can't yeah. remember the name of it. Dr. The bartender's Bronze. soap or yeah, something like that. And uh, you had to take apart the bolts and take all the metal tubing out. And you had to scrub it. And then you had to autoclave it. And then you had to like write the thing on the autoclave. It took me 
all day to do those but honestly i kind of saw it as like a cool uh, you guys get to do the paperwork you guys get to answer the phone you guys get to clean the shop like sick that's and and you know that that's a lot because you said 32s and i when i was an apprentice i had to clean for two Mm -hmm. shops and it could be anywhere from like 70 to 100 a day Mm -hmm. and that i mean that took me like half the day but that goes to show you when like they just like dried ink on those mm-hmm. and there were 30 of them and it took you like eight hours to do that. That yeah. that sucks. Yeah, that did. was on there. Yeah, it really that was a was. lot of work. And so it's I mean, I'm sure, you know, now or just with your hardships and all of that and the apprentice bullshit and mm-hmm. all that. Um, do you ever feel like when you hear an apprentice or someone kind of talk about I don't know, maybe like having to work or a little longer that day or do something. And like, I, I know like once in a while I'm like, fuck, cause you know, like my, I apprenticed under a murderer at one point and like, you know, crazy stuff too. And, and I want to have like, I want to have a safe space and I don't mm-hmm. believe in an, in abuse, but mm-hmm. like sometimes when you hear an apprentice being like, Oh, you know, I just stay like an hour later than usual and like complain or like something that's just, mm-hmm. even though we, we, they have the greatest opportunity <laughs> way better than you had. And, and they're like, Oh, but you know, like, I like, I don't know what they can complain. About. No, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to think of like no, something, but yeah. sometimes I'm just like, ah, I've done a lot of work on myself and things like that because I think coming from the studio, I worked at another studio here in Dallas. After I left that first one, I went to another apprenticeship and stayed there for three years and became a full-time artist there. Um, I had a lot of anger and animosity towards that studio for how they treated me and stuff like that. And they're really shitty to me and told me I wasn't going to succeed, that my art style was stupid, that um, basically I was a failure and they just, you know, were shitty, shitty people. And I've tried to not put my experiences on other people because, you know, I feel like as an apprentice, when you're treated badly and you see other people, like once you get to that status of artist, you're like, cool, I'm here now. Now the other apprentice is coming in. Now I'm going to do to them what I got done to me and stuff like that. Like that's just been the cycle for however many you know decades now and i've had to do a lot of work and be like my traumas are not other people's traumas just because Mm -hmm. i went through this does not mean other people have to go through this and just because i went through it it doesn't make me better or worse of an artist than that person you know what i mean and And just realizing like you cannot put your traumas on other people and expect them to because like just because i could handle it does not mean they could have handled it you know what i mean and just because they're getting it easier thank god they're getting it easier because honestly like i had to do a lot of work coming out of my old studio to like really like kind of heal myself i guess from that kind of stuff so yeah and and there's and i still believe in hard work Mm -hmm. just not abuse yeah you know and that's it and i know we talked about in the beginning because um I know there there were times too where, because I felt it too that mm-hmm. we we both experienced that anger. Mm-hmm. You had experienced that anger, and we had that conversation where it's like, mm-hmm. just because we went through something, you know, to, you know. But it's yeah, it still can be hard though sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like hearing someone complaining who had it way who has who has it way easier than we yeah. did. Yeah, because you kind of feel like <clears throat> you kind of feel like I I. <sighs> 
And again, I try not to compare because passions and determination is different for everybody and everyone shows it in a different way. But it's like, how much do you want this? Yeah. Do you want this bad enough that you're willing to stay an extra hour? Mm-hmm. Are you wanting this bad enough that you'll scrub 30 tubes? Are you wanting this bad enough that you'll take these things from people? Not that you should have to, but it's almost like this, like, I wanted this so bad that I was willing to do this and you don't even want to stay an extra hour, my guy. <laughs> like, I get that. I get that. But then you have to like stop those thoughts. You just have to like shut them down and be like, I'm going to focus on me. I don't care if they like don't care what they're doing. Focus on me. Do my shit. That's all that matters because that's a dead end road that you're just going to cycle through and never going to get anywhere except more angry, more animosity and more, you know, if you are an apprentice right now, if you are a tattooer, if you are a person in general and you worry about what someone else is doing it means you need to do something better for yourself. It means you're not doing enough for you right mm-hmm. now if you're worried about somebody else. 100%. I truly believe in like, and and I catch myself sometimes. I know like times when I'm like feeling really insecure about something because I start getting upset or jealous or- Judging other people. Yeah. I think more jealousy for Jealousy me. is a hard jealousy hard for me. One. But yeah, judgment too like can happen when you're when you're not doing enough. Mm-hmm. When you're not working enough on yourself, that happens. And it, it happens to all of us. We all have insecurities sometimes. I think especially as artists, because I look at tattooing, I don't <laughs> again like don't see myself as a tattooer. I see myself as an artist, like that kind of stuff. But I really do. This is just another medium. I paint, I draw, I tattoo. Like this is another medium that just happens to make me really good money. (laughs) So with that being said, and I've told other people this before, but art history has like really changed my outlook on the art world and how I conduct myself within Mm. it because rivalries and jealousies and artists are petty assholes. We just are. And I feel like we're more than other people because we're creatives and we love our brains. We think we're the smartest, like little, most creative little guys. And we see someone else over here and we're like, okay, can we sit down? Um, But when you think back at art history and the rivalries, like Michelangelo had a huge rivalry with another artist and he actually got punched out by that artist and that artist had to take off and go to England and like run away from the prosecution that he would have gotten for hitting like the darling of the Renaissance. That's wild. That's I didn't even know that about. Yeah. And that's the thing. And when you realize those things, you're like, damn, Michelangelo went through this shit too. <laughs> like, okay. All right. Like I, you just like learning those things about people that you idolize in the past, like really makes you realize like, okay, it just happens to us. I think there's a lot of ego and confidence with art, which can be good, but it can also be very damaging if you let it, you know, consume you and make you think you're better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Do you think Michelangelo had to scrub tubes? <laughs> I, I bet he did. Uh, yeah, I mean, he had to uh, be he an had understudy. Paint upside down. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, um, especially back in the Renaissance. Like, you had to be an understudy and work for other artists for decades before mm-hmm. you were ever able to, you know, create your own stuff and get paid for your own work and then have your own understudies and stuff. So, I think a lot of people, I think it's a huge misconception, and it's typically non-artists who see artists who are in the their career and they're like, wow, that's easy. Like I want to do that. And then they realize like, oh, this is decades of work, decades of hard work. That's so interesting how many parallels there are from like, uh, I would say the modern tattoo industry, but I feel like it's getting better. But like 10 years ago, tattoo industry versus like, you know, fine art. And you even talk about it a lot, but like, you know, when you, you're in an apprenticeship, you have 
your students like copy, not copy tattoos on skin, but like copy drawings of mm -hmm. other people or like copy tattoos on skin. And like, that's something that artists do is like copy works of old masters, like mm -hmm. when they're, when they're learning. So yeah, actually when Michelangelo got punched out, <laughs> yeah, you're pretty smart. So when Michelangelo got and punched hot. out, him and that other artist were actually studying an artwork together, copying it, drawing it at the same time. And he said snide comments to him and that's when he punched it. So like nice. this whole, uh, I think it's the biggest misconception as artists. And this is something I had to get over through high school because I had no formal art training until I got into college. Everything was learned by myself, which wow. I don't think is any better than someone who got art skills, but it definitely taught me a lot. But um, where was I going with that? I totally forgot. <laughs> um, with that being said, oh, copying. I had to get over this whole idea that everything has to come from your brain organically, 100%. You need to know how to draw a lady face like immediately out of your head. No issue. Like copy reference like those will change your art game so hardcore and we think that the old artists didn't do that actually they used to they used to take panes of glass and they would hold them up and they would take oil pens and they would copy things with the panes of glass and take that and then draw off of that mm -hmm. like we've been tracing since the beginning yeah. there's nothing wrong with it and it helps you develop your muscle memory mm -hmm. That helps you um, when you when you study little tiny strokes and all of that. That's that's what teaches you how to do what you know how to do. Exactly. Exactly. So I think people like discount you. They're like, oh, you trace. And it's like, but what do you do with that tracing? Like, how do you change that and make it your own? You know, like, are you making it your own? Are you taking that and learning from it? Yeah. And like, whatever, you know, like, again, I was a shit artist until I learned how to use reference photos. Once I did that, it completely, like, the first time I ever tattooed, we were at Third Eye, you know, all that stuff happened. It was before the studio opened, we were at Third Eye, and I was tattooing a flower, and you had came up to me, and you're like, you don't use reference photos? I was like, oh, no, no, I don't use references. I'm just, you know, just a seer. And then, like, that really stuck with me, because I'm like, why don't I use reference photos? And it was still that lingering <laughs> idea. No, it was still that lingering idea of, like, oh, don't get caught with a reference photo. Don't get caught you know, having something to look at. It has to come from your brain. And again, and then I started using reference photos and that really? again. Yeah. Like that's, that's so when funny. I started taping yeah. up the reference photos, having them there and stuff. And like, yeah, that always kind of stuck. With yeah. Me. That's funny. I don't even remember that, but I was probably just curious because I do that all the mm -hmm. time. I'll like walk up to an artist and see them doing something different. I'm like, oh, that's interesting that you do this. So, mm -hmm. but that's funny that it's, it's stuck with you. I did. Or, like, yeah. yeah. In, in art school, we were we were told like I got in trouble a lot for using photo references um, because they were they were told you that you had to do live references. Mm. If you were to do anything, you had to somehow be there and draw what was in front of you. I'm like, there's just some things so that limiting. aren't realistic. No. And I remember getting to a fight with um, one of my friends who is in art school with me, and and I was like, you know, like with whatever you produce at the end is what matters. It's mm -hmm. not how you get there. You might as well use tools. He's like, no, like fuck that. We had, we, he was one of my, one of my best friends during school and we got into a really big fight. Um, I remember over that and I got yelled at by my teachers a lot because there's like, I would draw a baby too. And they're like, there's no way a baby sat still for you that you used a photo reference and, and um, I was, yeah, I was that yelled at. No I was that yelled at so in front of the class. Oh uh, it's just, 
it it didn't it never made sense to me. Like use references, learn how to take photos too to use as references. We're not in the sixteen hundreds anymore. We have photography. <laughs> like use your tools, and that's a huge thing. Use your tools. Yeah. Like it it is so important to like and again like with iPads and people are like oh my god you use an iPad for you know your designs it's like yeah because it's an amazing tool you want me to go over here in the trenches and like fit mm-hmm. freehand draw everything cool that's great for some people but mm-hmm. this gets me to my end result faster remember, I'm gonna do it remember at Bobby's seminar like he had this whole thing about going off of people who don't use iPads he's like you're so fucking stupid if you're still not using an iPad at this point. <laughs> Yeah. It was pretty funny, but yeah, it made it made great sense. Yeah. So I was wondering, like, so obviously it's good to copy stuff to like learn how to do stuff, mm-hmm. but like, where's how do you draw the line when it's like you don't want to copy somebody else's like tattoo? So um, in the art world, uh, one of the things that you learn early on is the eighty percent rule. And I apply that to everything I do still because we're still doing art. Um, you can take an image. You have to change it 80% mm. to it not be copyrighted. It, and that's like in the sense of like copyright law, basically. Um, and I apply that to everything. I take my thing, I change it 80% and it's out of copyright law. And to me, that's enough. You know what I mean? And yeah. I, I just, I've always kind of lived by that yeah. rule basically because it's enough to make it your own. And honestly, like, and I've told you guys before, like I do realistic type things, but I don't consider myself a realism artist. I change a lot while I'm tattooing. Like my yeah. reference photos over here and like, yeah, sure, I'm using it as a reference, but I'm not holding true to all the, the colors and the, like as long as the tones and stuff are correct, like and the values and whatnot, like everything else I could just kind of go for. And I go with like what the skin tone is and like use the colors that best represent that. Yeah. You know, um, work with that. I think it's interesting too. I'm not sure if you still do it like this. I guess I haven't seen it in a mm-hmm. while, but sometimes when you use references, it's not she doesn't use like the actual reference of like the actual flower that you're tattooing but like if you're tattooing like a blue bonnet you might just have photos of blue bonnets but not like that specific one mm-hmm. so you're not copy it's not it's not even like a reference photo it's just like a well i guess it is a reference photo yeah kind of you're just remembering it's like, like an inspiration like. photo yeah, yeah yeah but you're still making it up as and i tell clients that all the time i'm like i make up a lot as i go with the tattoo you just mm-hmm. gotta trust me and and again that's just something that I've just learned to do, but I think also it's what you said too. You get so used to doing something that you don't, you don't need that like hardcore reference photo anymore. You, you can do it off of your brain, but it is good to have that to remind you like, Oh, this color, you know, it fades into this or like, Oh, it does have like a like white little tip at the top or things like that. That's why it's so important to know how to draw whatever you're tattooing. Mm -hmm. And, um, even I I also want to like, I had this thought a minute ago. I think it's worth mentioning, like when we're talk- talking about like tracing, copying, even if you color realism artists, that's what they do when they're yeah. strictly color realism. They, they just, they're like a printer. Mm-hmm. But even that, when you are just copying a photo, if you were to just trace something and try and tattoo it, you still got to know how to tattoo that really well. Mm-hmm. It doesn't automatically mean that tattoo is going to yeah. look good. There's still so much more to tattooing yeah. after that. Yeah. That's one thing I think is like a big, and we've talked about this on the show too, but that one thing that I really like about AI reference photos is, um, yeah, and I guess you wouldn't consider it copying, but there's so many realism artists that mm-hmm. tattoo the same reference. Yeah, um, the tiger and that lion. Yeah, we for all sure. Know. Yeah, because there's only so many reference <laughs> the photos Greek out statues. there. But even now, you're seeing like with your painting tattoos that you do, like 
you're seeing people tattoo those same Roberto Ferri paintings, mm-hmm. and it's it's not like quite like photorealism, but it basically is in mm-hmm. a sense. And so, you know, once somebody does that, you're not copying their work, but I think it takes away from it just a little bit because it's not like completely original. And that's why I think is what's cool about AI or even better Mm -hmm. taking your own reference photos is like, you can actually do a tattoo that hasn't been referenced, you know, a bunch of times. Well, I do think there is a a difference when it comes to using a painting, because like if I'm tattooing a famous painting, I want it to look like that painting. I don't want my interpretation on it. That's not what they're asking for. And that's not what I'm trying to do. But when I am creating something like my stained glass piece that I did, um, if you watch the replay of that, it is like, I always tell people I collage things because it's like, I took this head from this body and this body from over here. And I took this from here. And it's like this Frankenstein monster that makes a completely unique piece that is not anywhere else. So it's like, you can do both. You can take paintings. I take so many like little tiny pieces from paintings where I'm like, ooh, I like her body, but I don't like her face. So I'll take her body and like mush it with another face and paint over it and stuff like that. So it's like a really big mix of like me hand, like painting stuff and collaging things Mm. to get the image that I want to tattoo. Mm. Love that. Yeah, and that's kind of what you do with your, a lot of your painting Mm -hmm. designs, unless you're like copying a, a painting specifically mm-hmm. yeah. but even like you'll change like colors of stuff yeah always yeah just taking artistic liberty because mm-hmm. not everything is is tattooable the way it is most not things cool. aren't yeah most things are not yeah. yeah so you have a really fucking cool style and it's it's cool just seeing like where it came from too which is connected to your childhood and and all of that um i still i don't know if i told you but my my dad he doesn't he doesn't like randomly reach out to me a lot about like you know anything i anytime i call him he's so happy to hear from me it's it's not that it's just uh just him randomly like messaging me a video of you tattooing. I was like, like this is amazing. Like, have you seen this? Like, I'm like, yeah, it's our artist Willow. You know, and it, it it's so just sweet. so cool. Like, um, your your work is just so unique, mm-hmm. and and uh, creating your own style, your own brand, where you're scrolling on Instagram and you see that, and you're like, that's a Willow tattoo. I love that. That oh, is so you. hard to do in any art form, and you mm-hmm. you're succeeding in that. So I yeah, think. How, oh no, go ahead. How would you like describe your style? Yeah, because you said is, it's not color realism. No, I I think mm-hmm. I have some realistic parts to my work, which is fine. Um. And this is a question that I've always had a really hard time answering because you and I've talked about this before. We get bored. You don't want to keep doing the same thing over. Mm-hmm. You get bored. You want to expand. Um, I kind of like categorize it more of like, like little, like, oh, it has some Art Nouveau in it. It has some, you know, scientific and botanical illustrations. It has stained glass. Like It has Gothic, um, you know, fantasy stuff, book reference, like I don't think I can name my style because I do so many different things that I love that I mesh together that like I, you know, especially in the early days of Instagram, you would have these feeds where it was like this artist did like almost the exact same tattoo on every single person. Like their style was like, and I feel like with um, Instagram and things like that, it has really like pigeonholed people into this style thing. And I hate that. Like, I hate that. Like, I want you to be able to look at my work and know it's my work, but also I don't want to pigeonhole into this like one thing. And that's what you do forever and always. Like, absolutely not because i'm an artist first and foremost and i'm always experimenting i'm always going to be pushing i hope that next year 
I have different things than I have this year. Like, yeah, they're still going to be the same, but they are going to be different and they're going to be ever expanding and ever changing. I think as soon as you stop growing, you're what are you you're done boring like, you reach this peak i hope i'm nowhere yeah. near my peak i don't want to be any i hope my peak is 30 years from now because once you get to that peak where else do you go yeah no, in that. his 70s said he was still learning yeah you know and another thing i was going to tell you guys too like a huge difference with like working at eden and i think a lot of other tattoo shops is i've never heard the word you can't ever because especially trad daddies they mm-hmm. love it. And trad mommies too. They're like, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do this. And my old studio was always that like that. You can't draw this stuff. You're not going to make any money. You can't do this. You can't do that. And I've never once heard that here. You're always like, try it. Experiment. Like, see what, like, try Like, that is such a huge difference between this studio and other studios that I notice is like, you guys have never tried to put a box on people and like keep them in this category or say, oh no, you can't be doing this. What do you do? Like, you're always like, yeah, let's experiment. Let's work on it together. Let's expand this and go forward with it. So I think that's yes. a huge thing. So, yeah. So what are your favorite things to tattoo? You uh, went, went pretty viral on TikTok <laughs> recently for, for your stained glass stuff yeah. and, and your, um, I don't know. the book I, one. Yeah. yeah the yeah. sexy headless horseman. Yeah. We love it. Um, <sighs> You need to make prints of that, by the way, because a bunch of people ask. I know, yeah. right? That's if it's I love wild. that tattoo, dude. It's so cool. Yeah, yeah I've actually, I actually got asked to do another one like that, uh, so I'm really stoked on that. And honestly, I just kind of go with the the waves of things. Like people ask me for things, and I just make it how I can. Um, favorite things is that what you asked me? Favorite mm-hmm. things to tattoo? Yeah. Oh, God, that's another hard one because I feel like it's so vast. Well, there's you do so many a lot ideas. Of stuff. Yeah, Stay I never. Our nouveau botanicals yeah the gothic lanterns like there's there's a lot of different things that i love tattooing and again i think it's just that i have this creative thirst that i cannot quench and i want to dip my little fingers in all of it and take all the things i love again i do think the universal connective like the universal thing is it's all vintage everything that inspires me so that's what i was like looking for is like whoa yeah, like what would it's you describe your style? Yeah, and vintage everything pre nineteen hundreds, basically, and like that's a huge vast thing. Yeah, but I think that's like if you're gonna narrow it down, just be like that. Yeah, know? it's crazy. I feel like, but not just subject matter. Like I feel like you're just the way you tattoo looks vintage or Victorian mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call. it. Yeah, it's, it's really kind of cool. hard to explain. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um. I think a fun thing to ask too, because you were really into like reading and books and fantasy. Um, for anybody listening, what are some really good book recommendations that you Here suggest? Ooh, that's a good one. So I read like roughly between three to four books a week, like just Flex. depending on on my week or whatever. But you listen to audiobooks while you're tattooing. Yeah, so right? that's through audiobooks. So cool. um, honestly, I have a little bit of dyslexia. So like I always read books, but like it's, hard sometimes for me to read because I'll read the same thing over and not quite like understand or have to read the same page. Also, that goes with my ADHD. And I'd rather be doing something with my hands than holding a book. So it's just multitasking. But um, I'm totally a fantasy romance girly. No shame. Uh, I love my smut. I'm into it. (laughs) Um, Anything from Jennifer L. Armantrout to Sarah J. Moss. Yeah. Um, 
I read so many damn books. I'm right now, I'm rereading Crescent City, getting ready for the third one to come out because I'm awesome. just so excited. And, you know, we've talked about Akatar before and all yes. the Sarah J. Mass books are yes. great. Actually, my in my D&D campaign I'm playing right now, I'm playing a forest gnome uh, assassin rogue, and she's directly based off of Aelin from Throne of Glass. So I basically just stole Sick. her storyline. That's awesome. Um, but as far as other book, honestly, I feel like The Black Witch Chronicles is so slept on. It's by Laura Frost, mm. and I just got Haley to start reading it. Amazing world building, amazing character development. Like, the whole story is so good. And it's like, I haven't seen anyone on Book Talk talking about it. Like, nobody. What's it called again? The uh, Black Witch Chronicles. And it. I think oh. there's like five books out right now and nice. i have been begging my friend like please read this so i can talk to you about it and no one has read it they're like oh my god sarah j mass i'm like yeah that's cool like whatever but there's other authors out there like there's yeah. other amazing books yeah so um yeah i definitely if you're looking for something good to read the black witch chronicles like go for it cool it's a great time so you you, know. you you play dnd so i'm assuming you have a group that you do that with <laughs> and then you also have a book club do you host the book club or is it kind of like a group, group we take group? turns each month okay so there's like 12 of us in the book club and, and a lot each. of people from the studio yeah yeah so it's like katie it's and, actually much... it's just me katie and Haley. so it's just us three but there. the rest of them have been clients right because like cats <laughs> yeah. in it yeah chelsea's in it mm -hmm. yeah uh toby and reagan are in it. i've tattooed both of those uh chelsea is in it like it's it's honestly like kind of more of a goth club than anything because all of us we all go to the church which is a gothic nightclub here in dallas we go dancing after book club because book clubs on sundays um and it's also a food club too so we do food based on the book that we read so we just got done reading the poisonwood bible which I didn't finish. I'm not going to lie. That was a rough one. Um, and it was based in Africa. So we did like Ethiopian food and stuff so like cool. that. So That's so cool. I love the book club. They're, they've definitely, because we started last year and we all were friends adjacently, but not super close. And this past year, we've all just become so close and became a really good support system for each other and everything. And it's just like a very tight knit group of people that I've come to very much care for yeah. a lot. So. That's so awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I want to talk about your kind of bedside manner with your clients a little bit because mm -hmm. you listen to like audiobooks the whole mm -hmm. time. How do you – do you give your clients like a disclaimer or anything like before you like – and I know I feel like mm -hmm. for you it's like that helps you like zone in mm -hmm. weirdly enough, you know? Yeah, Bobby even mentioned that he – um when he was here – I was designing and he was like, yeah, it's, it's kind of hard to talk because here, like everyone has their headphones on and, you know, I'm used to like bouncing around talking to people and stuff like that, which I do feel sometimes guilty about. But honestly, like I've been listening to audiobooks since I started tattooing, even before when I was in my apprenticeship, like it always helped me with that zone in and my clients are paying me for a job, not yeah. to entertain them. I'm not here to be your therapist. I'm not here to talk about your dog. We can do that during lunch sure or like in little tiny bits yeah but you are paying me a good amount of money to get a job done for you and i cannot successfully get that job done for you if i am having to talk to you because mm -hmm. i i just i like cannot do both so it's like for me i'd rather you know and, and honestly i haven't had any issues with clients having a hard time with that like they always tend to bring their own books or their own headphones or their own tablets and zone in like i just think it's a a difference between like do you want as much work as I can possibly get done for you? Or do you want me to entertain and talk to you? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like well, I, I, I cannot I've, do both. I, I, I feel like 
Everyone's different. Like if if you do a better tattoo by zoning mm-hmm. out and you let your clients know, that's what that I I feel like a lot of clients. 10 years from now, they're going to just be hoping that tattoo is the best that they can. And if you're somebody who can't multitask, then do you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not that I don't talk to my clients. We talk before the appointment starts, like while I'm setting up, we'll talk at lunch because I buy them lunch. So we'll have a whole lunch conversation and then we'll talk like when I'm wrapping up and at breaks and stuff, we'll converse and things like that. So it's not like we're not talking, but you have a great relationship with your client. Yeah, I I think so too. And I think they get me on that level, you know, and, um, But again, I just think if I'm paying X amount of dollars and my tattooer is spending more time talking to me than tattooing me, I'm going to be like, I'm not paying you to talk to me. I'm sorry. I'm paying for you to do your job here. Well, it sounds like for you, it's more of like uh, you're just not good at like doing both Mm -hmm. because we've talked a lot about on the show about like how important the client experience Mm -hmm. is. And I feel like you do give your clients like a really good experience, but I don't know. I feel like as a client too, like. I'm hurting. Like I, I want to talk to my tattooer, but like I also don't want to talk the whole time. So I think is, and I and I think you're you're also like very personable. Mm-hmm. Like you talk a lot. Like when you're not like in the zone. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's you still give clients a really good experience and that personal relationship with you. Mm-hmm. Especially I feel like a lot of your clients, or I feel like anytime you do like some kind of niche style, like where you're like doing book tattoos, like I feel like you and your clients have a like mm-hmm. similar interests. Mm-hmm. So like you already kind of like vibe off the bat because they're mm-hmm. interested in your style and your subject yeah. matters and stuff like that 100 percent. and uh and again i i definitely have just like leaned on that hardcore throughout my career to like be as efficient as possible i suppose because i you know a lot of people are like oh my god you're so fast i don't think i'm fast i'm efficient i'm efficient with my time i'm efficient with how i apply my tattoo i want because it's painful it's a painful experience i want to get through this as fast as possible so that you're not in pain for more time than you need to be in pain for so yeah yeah, yeah for sure um and i think i think one of my favorite things about you and i and i feel like you just have like very type A like personality. So oh, type A. Like, yeah, yeah. Like I feel like you're like just have like a leadership personality. So maybe that's part of it. But I feel like you are so good with client consultations. And I feel like that's maybe like what's been one of the most important things in like developing your style. Because when you sit down with a client, like you are able to like not boss them around, but like lead them in a way that like this is going to be the best tattoo possible. And I feel like that's just like a skill that a lot of people have to develop. But since you started here, like, I feel like you're just like really good at that. Mm -hmm. Like, do you have any insight into like how to manage those situations? Yeah. So I always come at it as again, it's that whole thing as you are paying me as a professional, you know, if you go to your doctor for something and you start telling the doctor like, Hey, I've been on WebMD and I think, you know, you should do this to me. It's like, you're paying that professional to do their job, let them do their job, which is like the baseline of it. But then on top of that one, my client's they're, they just have cool ass ideas. Yeah, I'm very yeah. lucky. My clients are just awesome people. And a lot of them are just super open because they see my work on Instagram. They trust my work. Because if you, if you see someone's Instagram and you like what they're doing, you're going to like what they give you. Just let them yeah. do their thing. Um, and then also... I feel like talking through the client's idea. So, you know, a lot of times if people say like, oh, I want like 30 things in this, then I'll sit down and I'll show them, okay, this is what it looks like with the 30 things, but this is what it looks like if we just narrow it down a bit and they then can see what I'm saying and be like, oh, I see where you're coming from. And then Mm -hmm. also, you know, the whole idea of, 
when we started, you know, we did a bunch of floral tattoos and people would always come in and they want like the birth month flowers or like, they're like, oh, I want my kids names or I want, you know, the date of birth or whatever. And always taking those and making them more creative. Like, okay, I get that, you know, you want your, your son's name, but like, is there something else that means something to him? Like, is there like, does he really like dinosaurs? Does he really like butterflies? Is there something more metaphorical that we could do to make this an artist like an artistry thing yeah. than just putting your son's name because you know his name you're not gonna forget his name i promise you you're not you might. Um, <laughs> but like taking that and like you know again if they have like a bunch of family members kind of like being like okay so you have six family members let's not all do flowers let's find some birth butterflies and be like oh this butterfly is for january cool we'll do that for them or this bee represents your cousin you know things like that yeah. definitely changes the way you look at it like how you tattoo and i think a lot of it is also some tattooers just get kind of defeated when their ideas are initially rejected by the client like they'll be talking to the client and the client's like i'm not really vibing with that and then they'll just kind of like let themselves get bullied into something maybe they're not comfortable doing i've been a victim of that too and knowing when to say either okay cool we're not seeing eye to eye i really appreciate you coming in but this is not something that i can fulfill with you and i'm not comfortable with doing it give them their deposit back cool it was really great and honestly i've had clients thank me for that before they're like thank you for like telling me that you don't want to do this and giving me the deposit back because they would rather hear that than you do a tattoo that taking their money yeah exactly and then also really working with them and really going over ideas and spending that time to like come together on an idea because I don't think it's just my tattoo and it's not just their tattoo. It's our tattoo. We are taking both of our things and we are merging them together and creating this beautiful tattoo child that we both love and we're both stoked on. And if that is not happening, then maybe we just don't vibe and we don't work together and that is okay. Maybe there's a different artist out there for you. And that, I mean, I don't know. I can't think of a time where that's happened with you Mm -hmm. here, maybe a couple times, but Mm -hmm. And with our consultation process too, like, um, like they, they already have like the subject matter mm-hmm. like lined up. They've already seen your work, so it's not like you're coming from two completely different ends and you're being like, no, you're getting a different tattoo. Mm-hmm. It's I'm more so talking about like just like specific like composition. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, sometimes like all of the elements and stuff like that, and and. Yeah. That's so that's what I was just like yeah. referring to. I feel like that's what you're good at, like steering clients in the direction of yeah. like what's going to give them the best tattoo yeah. within what they want as well. You mm-hmm. know, yeah, I think that also is just again, just the freedom and being creative in yourself is just like thinking of cool creative solutions. Because honestly, especially like when it comes to cover ups and scar cover ups, I've really grown to love them. Yeah. <laughs> and I know they're like dreadful for a lot of people like, oh my God, I want so good at them. Yeah. Thank you. I see it as a critical thinking problem. It's like a math problem. You just got to figure out the right way to solve it. And once you do, like, there you go. Like, I love the challenge. And I think that's again, like goes with like being here and, and like growing as an artist is if you're not constantly challenging yourself to do things that maybe make you uncomfortable and get better at them like you're not growing you're not changing so yeah i love that so as far as like growing and changing like what do you think is next for you um now that you're famous viral on tiktok get out of here um (laughs) that's the one thing i tried really hard not to care about is fame like i think a lot of people especially young tattooers are like i want to be as big and viral as possible and like yeah that's important because it helps you with clients and things like that but like if that's your goal man there's so much more to tattooing than being known or being famous like there's so much more to that and it's like once you get to that point are you happy 
like are, you got there what what next like but uh to answer your question um i don't know i'm just gonna flow with the waves man like i just kind of whatever inspires me i'll go through and look at and on my pinterest board are the things that i've collected in my reference photos and be like oh cool let's let's do this like i can't predict what i'm gonna do next because i'm ever changing and ever growing it will still be within the victorian art nouveau botanic like it's still gonna be within that wheelhouse but like again because i don't have like a specific style that i work in it's it's hard to narrow it down i think i'm just going to do with whatever my heart you know wants and i think the books have been really cool like doing more book art or book related yeah. art has been fun um and again more stained glass yeah. and stuff like that more art nouveau like just really doing that but i, I don't think i can pinpoint it oh, that's a terrible answer i'm sorry <laughs> no that's perfectly legitimate <laughs> you, answer. you're just growing and want to do mm. cool shit yeah it's whatever inspires me in that yeah. moment and go from there so yeah i love it yeah i love it yeah and then you also like still you we, you mentioned it earlier but you're very active in like making art outside of tattooing which i think also influences your tattoo style so like the stained glass stuff like mm -hmm. You actually make stained glass. Mm -hmm. Yes, I do. Uh, yes, that is another example. You should learn how to draw or do whatever yeah. you're tattooing. You actually make stained glass. Yeah, you fully understand it from the from the beginning stages of it. Yeah, and again, I think it's that like disease of obsession that mm -hmm. artists have, like a uh, true passion and yeah. stuff. I think to be a really good artist, you have to be really fucking passionate about what you're doing and put it in every single part of your life. Um, and I was stained glass. It was always something that I really wanted to learn. It's a very tedious hobby and I love it. <laughs> it is very time consuming. Um, and I get very satisfied. My amazing stained glass teacher, Jordan, um, has helped me a lot. And it started out as like, yeah, I wanted to do stained glass tattoos. And so I learned how to make stained glass. And then it's just kind of evolved into like, now I'm putting stained glass through my entire house. And honestly, and and not to say that I'm not going to tattoo for the rest of my life, because I do plan on tattooing for a long time. But in 30 years, and Mark Wade said this too, is like, eventually your body's going to give up on you. Mm -hmm. Eventually the tattooing, people don't realize how hardcore tattooing is on your body. It really, I mean, you know. <laughs> um, and I want other things besides tattooing that could bring me an income maybe yeah. in 30 years maybe my stained glass will take off and i can start selling stained glass or like do things like that with my other hobbies like that's all starting now i have to work on those things to like i think you know putting all your fishes in one pot is like dumb like why not you know spread them out yeah. and have like a bunch of different things that can like help you out financially and creatively along the road yeah um, yeah. yeah yeah for sure i was talking to uh um the guy at Vatican when we were guest spotting over mm -hmm. there and he's actually like, he's a tattoo artist, an incredible tattoo artist, but he, um, he's take Alexis. He does like the freehand, um, owls mm -hmm. and stuff like that. If you've ever seen yeah. that, but he's actually like restructured his schedule this year to where he's taking a full day to paint. And he was talking about how, you know, mm -hmm. painters, like they might paint two paintings a year. Mm -hmm. If they sell that painting for tens of thousands of dollars, that's awesome. But the rest of it's like residual income from making prints and stuff like that. Yeah. And that's, you know, tattoo artists like don't really do that very often. Yeah. But it's 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 hard, at least for me and, and a lot of people too when I talk to them. It's like once you do art for a job, that's so taxing. It's really hard to wanna do that as well when you're done with the day. Yeah, that's why I take a few days off every month. Yeah. I take like three or four days off and those are my art studio days Love specifically. That. I don't do anything else on those days. And 
it's about setting boundaries with yourself and setting goals and meeting those goals. And a lot of it is just discipline and determination. And yeah, you're tired, but you're going to get up, you're going to go and you're going to do it because if you're not, you're never going to make something of yourself and you're never going to achieve your goals. Yeah. You know, there's time to sleep when you're dead, I guess. (laughs) Well, I feel like you've been, I I feel like you've been accomplishing a lot since you got here, but lately you just bought a house. You were like into this fitness routine, like where Mm -hmm. you've lost a lot of weight. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really cool to see. Thank you. Yeah. It's, uh, Uh, last, so I'm 29, I'm about to turn 30 in April and I kind of had this like moment when I turned 29 where I was like, okay, cool. My twenties are about to be over. Like I really reflected on who I was in my twenties and the things that I accomplished in my twenties. And I was like going into my thirties, what do I want for myself? Like, what do I want me to look like? What do I want my life to look like? What are my goals and and things like that? And really sat down and, and, you know, I broke my ankle last year and that was the time that I like took to be like, I need to evaluate what's going on. And so I got really heavy into finances. I figured my finances out. I like really structured it all and figured out how much am I spending? How much am I making? Like things like that. And then going into what am I eating? What am I putting in my body? Like it it all kind of trickled down this past year of like, it's like with going vegan too. It's like this thing just switched in my head where I'm like, this is better for me than what I've been doing why am I not doing it? And it's just this like continuous personal growth. And I think a lot of people think to the future, they're like, oh, in five years when I do this, oh, when I do do it now, what are you doing? Do it. Like the person you are now is going to help create the person you're going to be in five years. So if you're not making those steps right this fucking second, you're never going to get to that person in five years. Stop. Like so many people live in the future. They live for the future. You're not experiencing this moment right now yeah. and that's all that matters that's, that's so cool about you're like i'm gonna try and go vegan you just did it you just did it right away and you're still on it you're yeah. like i'm gonna start working out you just did it and like yeah. finances like you just were like i'm gonna figure this out well that's so cool it. how you because i hadn't heard you know how you figured out your finances and planned your life kind of when you broke your leg but how long how long were you, were you out it was um, like, I didn't work for two weeks and then I came back to work. That was it? Yeah, two weeks. Oh, I like really wanted to come back to work. Anyway, so you broke your leg, ankle. Ankle, fell down a staircase, going to a seance, you know, normal shit. Yep, totally. <laughs> Actually, that's about on brand for you, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I broke your ankle, was gone for two weeks. Couldn't make sense. I think, I guess you couldn't drive, and that was like the biggest thing. Actually, was, I like, did drive. I, I did eventually start driving. Eventually. I just used my other foot to do it. <laughs> really safe. You just figure shit out. You were so resilient. You're like, okay, here's another problem. I'm just going to fix it and adapt. Yeah. Any, but where I was going with that is I think it's really cool that you use that time where you were out of work to like do shit. And I remember you were like drawing a ton of like flash designs and stuff like yeah. that. So you use that time to be like, not like, oh shit, woe is me. I broke my ankle. You're like, no, this is an opportunity for me to get shit done while I'm on the couch and I can't move. Yeah, yeah and that's fucking cool. And I want to make a point, too, for anyone struggling with mental illness and, and stuff like that. If there is a moment or a period where, like, you just can't get up out of bed or do something to also, like, it's okay to give yourself a break as well. Honestly, I'm, I'm you know, as much as I'm a go-getter, I'm a busybody. I love doing stuff. I have a really hard time taking time to breathe and, like 
relax for a little bit. I don't give myself a lot of time for that. Um, and I think, again, it has a lot to do with my childhood and how I came up and I've had to like literally just completely make who I am. Because when you come from nothing, you have nowhere to go but up. Like, but you just got to work for it. It's not gonna be easy. You have to, you know, work yeah. for it. And so I think I've trained myself so hard to be so diligent with those things that sometimes like I don't give myself a rest day. And then I notice, you know, my depression comes on and my anxieties come on and things like that, where I'm like, and I've drowned those things out by being busy, you know, by doing yeah. art, by constantly going and going and going. I push aside my anxiety and my depression and things like that. If you're too busy to think, you're not anxious. I, I also though <laughs> want to note though that if if you're constantly trying to busy yourself mm -hmm. to not be alone with your own thoughts, that may in the future be something that you can learn to face too. Yeah. As to a point that's also not the healthiest. No, oh, it's I will, not. I will make a point in that mm -hmm. too. It is one of those things that I know I need to work on. And again, it's one of those things that I'm gradually, again, with my interpersonal skills, I think yeah. because of the way I grew up, I have this tendency to initially push people away. Yeah. Like I definitely have a heart. Yeah. I take I a long time you. warming up to people. You guys know you. it takes me forever to get like comfortable and yeah. feel secure in a, in a space. Yeah. And um, that goes with like, that's why I've been single for so long. I have the hardest time like connecting with guys that I like, like it's like almost impossible. You so hear that boy? Easier. She's single. Stop. Um, <laughs> that's why it's easier to just not even try because like, that's something that I don't, personally think I am ready to deal with you know what I mean and when it's time for me to deal with that I think it will happen but it's again it's slow it's 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 getting better with the people around me first it's like living with roommates like I, I eventually if I want to live with a partner I got to be able to live with other people if yeah. I can't live with my roommates how the fuck am I going to live with a partner yeah like it's, it's <laughs> those things that like yeah. I have to like build upon and stuff so yeah. 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 Mental health is a hell of a thing because it's not just straightforward. Everyone thinks, oh, anxiety, depression, it's the same thing. It's not. Like, it's different in every single person. And learning your coping mechanisms, like mm -hmm. I told Bobby too, my ADHD and stuff, my coping mechanism with that was constantly drawing, constantly mm -hmm. hyper -fo focusing on things that will further me, you know, instead yeah. of like other things. Yeah. So. Yeah. We're big advocates of therapy too, like um, to figure out the root of what's bothering you, like the the thoughts that pop in your head when you're forced to sit still. Mm -hmm. Those are usually like the issues to figure out like why that's bothering you and stuff. And I know like that's that's helped me a lot. And I, I think if you're wondering what it is you're really feeling to just take a moment to force yourself to not work, to not mm -hmm. do anything, whatever feelings those are coming up, that's that's what you got to face in you. And that's what you got to figure out for yourself too. 100%. But uh, yeah, therapy is great too for therapy is great. I did do therapy for a while. I think for me personally, there's a like, I need like childhood trauma therapy stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's something totally. that I haven't investigated enough to know because I went to just like normal therapists and it was just, it wasn't, I wasn't getting, anything out of it. I feel like really? it can be hard to find the right therapist. Too. Really hard. Especially yeah. like tattooers, find, finding one that specializes in what you do. Mm -hmm. That's why I love, uh, this is a recommendation, psychologytoday.com. Nice. You can put in, um, you can research, just put in your zip code and, and pick out the things you want, like people who specialize in childhood trauma or anxiety, depression, addiction, family trauma, mm -hmm. couples therapy, all of that. You can put in your, um, 
uh, health, uh, what's it called? Health insurance insurance. policies. Mm -hmm. And it filters it for you so you can find someone near you. Yeah, that's amazing. awesome site. It is very helpful. It it really, really is when you find what works for you and stuff. Yeah. I know. Well, this has been amazing. I love getting to know you more. It's always been such a joy having you. Anytime I'm around you, I just, I'm so inspired by just the badass that you are, the person to not make excuses, to figure shit out. You never victimize yourself. Uh, even after you've been through so much and you continue to grow and amaze all of us. And we're just so happy and proud of you. And you're just a fun person. Dude. <laughs> you're like, you're just so fun, fun to be around. Yeah. Oh, get out of here, you yeah. guys. You're just telling me that. You're so loved. <laughs> you are so loved here. So. I love you guys too. Yeah, this is definitely the best. Been here since the beginning. You're an Eden OG and yeah. it's we're, we're just so grateful and thankful that you've taken this ride with mm-hmm. us it's insane Dude. to see like where we started to hear like and see the whole yeah you know, i guess it's been just years? about four years yeah, since we years. well yeah four years since we interviewed you yeah, yeah so like it's, it's been, been a hot been minute on the train for a long time yeah yeah super super grateful for yeah. it so i'm yeah, grateful for you, for you guys everything. too yeah thank you thank you for having me <laughs> for awesome well, cool. Well, thank you guys for tuning in. Uh, follow Willow on Instagram um, at ladyfay.art. That's F-A-E. Right? Fay? Yeah. Yep. Um, follow the podcast at eden.pod. Review us on uh, Spotify. Like us on YouTube. All that good stuff. Subscribe. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye.